This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. The following podcast contains explicit language. It's Friday, December 19th, 2014. From Slate, it's the gist. I'm Mike Pasca. Man, is it hard to be president? President Obama, that's the guy's president now, talked in his year-ending press conference about job growth and a strong economy. That part's true. Mentioned that he thought fracking had little to do with the fall of oil prices. That is incorrect. And then he ended things with this statement. People are basically good and have good intentions. Which I took as a welcomed insight into the man himself. If he still thinks that, okay, maybe you could say, oh, he's just saying that. But it does seem that he's genuine. He seems a little like a frustrated professor who believes that we are being distracted into division. Good enough statement. So I went on Twitter to see what people thought about this statement. The president saying that he thinks people are basically good. One guy said, except the police. Another guy said, the vast majority of American people are trying to do good. Hmm, 51% of Americans supported CIA's torture. A contributor to the National Review said, Obama said that, describing a country that the attorney general called a nation of cowards. So get a little zing in there. A black Twitter user said, Obama reminded us that white people are good and everyone is just trying their best. Here's a guy. People are mostly good That's how Barack Obama fulfilled Neville Chamberlain's promise. Right. So that guy said, huh, the president just said people are good. You just appeased Hitler. And then a pastor, Bob Hager, on his Twitter feed started a Facebook discussion. He asked his followers, what do you think of that? First answer. While I would like to believe that, there are two things that make me don't believe it. One, past experience. Two, Obama hasn't told the truth or been right about anything else. (laughs) But I do not want to represent the goodness of people that way. There were a lot of people who said that they agreed with the president, said it was a hopeful comment. Of course there are. You know why? Because people are generally good. People also do other podcasts. Yes, it's the end of OPP, Other People's Podcast Week on The Gist. It's good to hear the strains of Naughty by Nature once more. And you know what is good? An Antan twig. We're upon one in the spiel. But first, a very good podcast which uses as its mother's milk films that are not good. In fact, they're flops. The Flop House is a podcast where, well, here's how they say it. They watch a bad movie, then they talk about it. Here they are talking about a talking cat. A talking cat? A talking cat, huh? Who ever heard of such a thing? Because here's the the title is a talking cat, exclamation point, question mark, exclamation point. I suppose. (laughs) I don't know why your version of the title is so Jewish, (laughs) Stuart. That's that's my Charlie Rango impression. Charlie Rango? (laughs) I guess I'm a lizard cowboy. (laughs) I'm a lizard cowboy that represents Harlem in Congress. Charlie Rango. (laughs) Not to be confused with Charlie Ragu, the congressman <laughs> who is a spaghetti sauce. 
Uh, Sounds so. a little bit like Sylvester Stallone all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah, well, he's also sp- got uh, spaghetti, spaghetti sauce in his veins, you know. Spaghetti so sauce. Spaghetti <laughs> sauce. A talking cat with an interrobang with an extra bang. So interrobang, is that a porn movie about punctuation? <laughs> like yep. the copy editors are, are checking the newspaper articles late at night, and mm. one thing leads to another. Yeah. Uh, well, if there was a pornographic movie, it could have been shot on the set of A, a Talking, Talking Cat. Because here's the thing. A Talking Cat is a movie that, let's just say right at the top, every scene feels like it risks being <laughs> about to turn into a porno scene, even the ones between family members. There's just this weird porn th- tone to the yeah. whole thing. And maybe it's just <clears throat> the awkwardness of the acting and the amateurishness of the shooting of the film. Well, but we can't. S- spells out porn. <laughs> <laughs> So the last voice you heard there was Elliot Kalin. He's actually the head writer of The Daily Show in real life. Fellow Daily Show writer Dan McCoy is a second member of the Flophouse. And Stuart Wellington rounds out the trio. Hello, guys. Hello. Hi, thanks very much for having us. Absolutely. Give me the backstory, the origin story, if you will. Dan? Yeah, I started the podcast mostly because Stuart and, at the time, uh, original Flophouse co-host Simon Fisher were friends of mine. Uh, Rest in peace. Um, he's still alive, but there weren't comedians, but they were very funny and I just wanted to get them on tape because I knew that they wouldn't do it themselves. So I'd been looking to do a podcast for a while because at that time podcasts were new and it seemed like a way to get in on something new and exciting. And we always liked bad movies. So when Simon had to move back home, we had some rotating guest hosts, but none of them had the same spark as a young Elliot Kalin. You might say the same obnoxiousness. <laughs> <laughs> you have the ability to talk and talk and talk, which has saved us on a number of occasions. When the, <laughs> the other two have run out of things to say. But I never run out of things to say. What's the process like of selecting the movie? Well, we um, see how long they are. <laughs> yeah. If it's 90 minutes or, or fewer, that's a, a real boon. I'm kind of a dictator when it comes to what we're going to watch. I would say very much so. Dan has some idea of movies that might work out, and we kind of talk it over briefly. Uh, and we suggest movies, and if Dan thinks it's a movie he might like, then he will not let us do it. Mm. <laughs> I just feel like it goes against our mission statement. What if it's a movie that Elliot will like? What if Stewart says, no, I think I might like this. Doesn't matter? Well, it's tough, because Elliot's usually got a mouthful of chicken at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so it's tough for him to really voice any kind of intelligible uh, opinion. Yeah, I try to take uh, the remote from Dan's hands, but the grease on my fingers just makes it slip right out again. Uh, Hollywood knows, don't they know that most of these bad movies are bad? And then what do they do once they have a bad movie on their hands? Uh, Usually they try to convince people it's good, and then they take the money and run away. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and then they start the cycle over again. A worm (laughs) eating its own tail. I mean, we see a lot of movies that are trying to cash in on a trend, or a remake of something else, or something where... They found elements they think people like, and they're just going to throw them together in some fashion. But some of the better movies are the ones that are crazy because the people making them thought they were making a very good movie. And there's been a couple movies we've seen that were clearly passion projects. We'll watch a movie like Battleship, which is not good, but it's kind of like, all right, that happened. Uh, But then there's a movie like Passion Play, which was a passion project for the director. And you're like, why did he want to tell this story so badly? (laughs) Mickey Rooney and the... uh, the, Only was Mickey Rooney, Rooney, though. Of of Mickey Rourke as a jazz trumpeter who's in love with a girl with wings. And there's gangsters. And there's a circus of some kind that is tracking them down. Like, 
that those are the ones where there's something special about them. And I do want to say a lot of these movies actually make money. People sometimes are like, oh, you know, this is not actually a flop. I don't know why you're doing it. It's more about whether it was a critical flop than a commercial one. I mean, a lot of these people, I think, are laughing all the way to the bank. It's not like yeah. they're like, oh, oh, too bad we made that movie that made us a billion dollars. <laughs> a lot of the great episodes of Flophouse is when you figure that out, when all of you decide, you know what, this is what's going on. <laughs> this is must have gotten lost in the editing room. Either there's a plot thread that just never p- pays off or there's weird editing choices. And most of the time you won't have read it about it or, you know, you didn't read Variety and know the backstory. It's just so clear as you piece it through together through the hour-long episode. This must have been what happened. Well, we're kind of like movie archaeologists. Yeah, and we have we operate with a collective consciousness. Yeah, a bunch of Dex dog detectives, if you will. Yeah, well, that's the thing. So you watch this movie, Food Fight, which was a kind of combination of those things of trying to be a cash grab and trying to make something. Uh, no, I guess it was pretty much a cash grab. Whereas this computer-generated movie, where they thought, "Hey, Toy Story worked really well because everyone imagines what it's like if toys come to life when no one's looking." You know what else people love? brand mascots on packaged cereals and other supermarket products. Uh, Let's do a movie where they come to life, and then we can sell a lot of product placement, and then we can create new characters and sell them as as, uh, cereal mascots. At some point, this we were able to piece together with some research afterwards. At some point, the entire movie was stolen, and they had to recreate it in a short amount of time. It's It's this bizarre, like, fever dream of, and you're watching it, I think it was Stuart, maybe, who said it's like coming across like a serial killer's dungeon or something like that. <laughs> and you're like, I know this makes sense to somebody, but there's something that's more frightening to me than if it made sense to nobody. Did M. Night Shyamalan get worse, or did we just get wise to him? I think it was a wise thing. Mm-hmm. I, well, I, I mean, it's like, both. Well, except he's, well, it's, maybe it's more of a stopped clock type thing. But the two times he was right were the first two movies, or, right, because yeah, would... Sixth Sense was good. I mean, I got tricked in the end. That means it was good. <laughs> I, mean, I never liked it as much as I feel like the world went crazy for it, but I thought it was, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a, a solid movie. movie. I think a lot of people look at his movies now in retrospect, and they're like, I liked it then, but now that I know his later movies were not as good, now I don't like them. Right. Like once you found... His movies are now, are now picked over more than the strengths used to be. Right, right. They're picked over like an M. Night Shyamalan movie, where the secret ending is he really sucks, and then you go back, <laughs> and you're like, wait a minute, there's a clue! <laughs> yeah, but I hold out hope that he'll rediscover the magic and uh, and bring us something worthwhile. I mean, The Happening, for instance, is a worthwhile movie to watch. It's just not very good. I would put it in the top five comedies of that year, you know? <laughs> <laughs> even if that was not the intention. Yeah, or spoiler alert: top five movies where the plants did it. Yeah, I mean, there's really not not that many of those. There's Day of the Trippet, mm-hmm. yeah. Little yeah. Shop, yeah. Little Shop of Horrors, yep. I guess, and the Vine. What What was that movie about the killer vine? Oh, the, the ruins. ruins. Yeah. So there's so I mean it easily is is up there with those. Oh, I thought I thought they made a movie about like the Swedish rock band. But anyway, um, <laughs> um, are there genres that you have a harder time really tearing apart? Uh, Holocaust documentaries. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Shoah, Noah. Really <laughs> like a bad comedy is more painful to mm-hmm. watch. A bad horror movie is easy peasy. Like a bad romantic comedy can be okay and a and a bad drama can be okay but a bad comedy like to watch a bad like slapstick comedy is painful if you would ask me do you watch bad movies i'd say yeah but 
I see so, I guess there are just so many bad movies released that no, I do not watch the vast majority of them, even if I'm aware of these movies. But when I come across one, going through your archives, that I have watched, that is not just entertaining, that is useful. That is sustenance for my soul when you can pick apart <laughs> Green Lantern in ways that I haven't even thought of. And it's sweet revenge. Like, I remember I was watching the Spider-Man movie, the last one that came out, and I said, oh God, the Flophouse has to do this, or let's call those guys, I wanted to do it on the show. And then Stuart was explaining to me, it's a little too long. We don't want to subject ourselves to that. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I don't know if fans say that to you, but thank you so much for deconstructing that terrible experience and giving it some worth. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Uh, you know, well, we really do this to give back to the community. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, in all honesty, sometimes I get, I'm like, is this a worthwhile thing to do? Because I actually don't like sort of internet snark. Uh, if we can transform it into something worthwhile, that's better. And I, I think that we actually do try and keep ourselves from just getting mad at the movies to approach it with some sort of sense of joy so we're not just a bunch of jerks. Yeah, I mean, we are a bunch of jerks, but I think we try to remind ourselves every now and then that, like, people worked on these, and, like, even if it, they might have known it was bad, but they still, they put their time and their energy into it, and, like, there's, you know, real human beings where the movies didn't didn't drop from the sky or, like, grow out of a pod or something like that or suddenly appear. Although, actually, having our podcast be torn apart by people on the Internet every now and then has made me less sympathetic to others. <laughs> Elliot Kalin, Dan McCoy, and Stuart Wellington are the Flophouse. Thank you, guys. Thanks. Thank you very much. And let's go out on, what was that Christian exploitation movie? God's Not Dead. God's Not Dead. So anyway, I just wanted to reiterate how stupid (laughs) the basic premise of this movie is. This is a movie that that is basically a Jack Chick tract Mm -hmm. in movie form. But anyway, so Josh takes the case. Josh Whedon takes the case. Josh has his feet up on his desk in his private eye office. God walks in, says, <laughs> people are trying to kill me. And he goes, I'll take the case. Yeah. I work $25 a day plus indulgences. And then he makes out with God. Because <laughs> God's got some sweet gas. That's when a deity walked in who had stems all the way from here to heaven. <laughs> they went all the way up. <laughs> he had a beard that just clouds. wouldn't quit. <laughs> Keep going. Get out with Slate is on a quest to identify the top technological marvels of the contemporary age, the seven wonders of the modern world. Unlike the architectural monuments of antiquity, the great achievements of today are made possible by systems, infrastructure, and technologies that are, for the most part, invisible. To find out more, go to slate.com slash seven wonders and check back every week for a new wonder of the modern world. This series was made possible by GE. And now the spiel, an antan twig. And so then, as OPP week concludes, so does an antan twig dawn. If you don't know what an antan twig is, it's a 21-day period, like a fortnight is a 14-day period. It is derived from the old English word for 21. And with this antan twig, we're back on schedule. We will remain on schedule, even though the next two Fridays are the day after New Year and the day after Christmas. I guess you could count business days. My relationship with business days is like what a black person's relationship is with the Crayola color Flesh. Uh, how do you know what my business is? What's your business? That ain't my business. Now I'm getting all up in your business because you said your package would be within 10 business days and no one counts Arbor Day. And you know what? All that time, lady, because I'm talking to a customer service person, all that time, lady, I've been all business. 
getting into it with this person. I'm all business. I'm the flip side of all business. The flip side of all business is no nonsense. Although, all business and no nonsense, they're not actually the same thing. They seem very similar. But I think no nonsense can actually mean helpful, on your side, straight talk, like a no-nonsense guide to taxes and finance. But if you're all business and it's an all business guide to taxes, well, I'm not an S-corp. I ain't filling out an 1120 because all business means you are grim. Your jaw is clenched. No nonsense. Think about it. It just means sense. You got some sense. Of course, I bring neither to wit. This week, I got the date wrong on the 15th. I added 10 days. I freak people out who thought they had 10 more shopping days or business days to Christmas. Shopping days aren't business days. Although, if you're shopping and you're in someone's store, guess what? That's their business. Anyway, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception I got wrong. It wasn't about Mary conceiving. It was about the Virgin Mary being immaculately conceived. So Jesus was a third-generation virgin. No, he wasn't. I delved into it. I listened to some OPP, other papal podcasts. Mary was conceived by biological means. Hey-oh, hee-hoo, hee-hoo. You know what I mean there. But she didn't have to wait until baptism to be cleared of her sins. She was in a state of grace from the time of being a zygote. So I hope I'm getting all this right. The important thing is, from a theological perspective, alternate side of the street parking is suspended. Hosanna in the highest. Also of note, I want to apologize to everyone involved in the Little Drummer Boy Challenge. Avert your ears if you are involved in this challenge. By pa pumming in the credits one day, I apparently ruined this contest where people challenge each other to see how long they could go without hearing the Little Drummer Boy. Live in a Taliban-controlled society, people, if you want to win. But apparently, the official Little Drummer Boy Challenge Facebook page ruled that even hearing me pa-rum-pa-pa-pumming is enough to make you a loser. How was I supposed to know that this Little Drummer Boy Challenge even existed? Actually, I kind of did know. Here's a clip of the interview I did a couple weeks ago with uh, Harry Shearer and Judith Owen. <laughs> yeah, the other the one I don't like. Yeah. I do not like the little drummer boy. I just want to go and hit someone every That's time I hear it. That's a polarizing song. Oh, it's song. hideous. Yeah, people love it. Parumpa pum. Like oh, parumpa yeah, pum. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And lazy I, is all I'd say. Uh huh. You know, half the song is parumpa pum pum. Yeah. Give me a little paradiddle. Give me something. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, I know. Uh, I know. Of, <laughs> I know of some people that they have a contest, and whoever goes the longest without hearing the little drummer boy wins. So you're saying. Saying a drinking song that involves a person every time you don't hear Little Drummer Boy. It's it's a it's a year long contest uh. and not hearing the drummer bo- Little Drummer Boy, and it's all based on you know self reporting. So we have to be honest about yeah. it. But and yet, yeah. well, it I, works in the fracking business. So it why not certainly it? does, Harry. <laughs> uh, if and yet, if See, I that I think that probably that statement is a key to the to your relationship. Well, the two, the yes, two of Harry. Yes, Harry. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes, only Harry. on the radio. <laughs> so sorry, LDB challengers. May I now welcome you to the Hocus Pocus by Focus Challenge with a hearty. And now the Lopstar, the greatest listener, commenter, or yodeler of the Antan Twig. The Lopstar of this Antan Twig is Michelle Shepard. Based on our interview of the history of smiling in portraiture, she wrote, I teach high school photography. Last year, I launched an investigation into teens and selfies. Sexy selfies 
come from a subtle evolution. Not unlike the portrait painters studying from their masters, kids see what images get the best reactions, quantified in likes, and recreate them with variations. They get edgier each time to try to surpass the examples from which they learned. Since selfies have reproduction cycles faster than hermaphroditic worms, it takes no time for images to evolve into the duck face. Then Michelle documented that Marilyn Monroe resorted to the duck face dozens of times in her career. She went on to quote Michael Keaton in Multiplicity and in doing so won my heart. Big, exaggerated, kissy face to you, Michelle. But most importantly, you are the lobster of the Antan Twig. And that's it for today's show. Andrea Salenzi is the producer of The Gist, but she doesn't do it alone. No, she's often joined by Randy Newman, Willie Nelson, Brian Cranston, Doris Kearns Goodwin, Francis Collins of the Human Genome Project, Tom Brokaw, Mandy Potemkin, and Lil Buck. Joe Meyer is managing producer of Slate Podcasts. He shares a cubicle with Yo-Yo Ma, Neil deGrasse Tyson, Sam Waterston, Jeff Daniels, Cindy Lauper, Big Bird, Trevor Potter, and Keith Olbermann. Andy Bowers, executive producer of Slate Podcasts, stands on the shoulders of... Andrew Sullivan, David Hallberg, Katie Couric, Ken Burns, Rick Okasik, Gloria Steinem, Charlie Rose, Samantha Power, Michael Stipe, James Franco, and Cookie Monster. You, you, Toby Keith, and Segway inventor Dean Kamen can subscribe on iTunes and give us a listen on Stitcher. Maybe Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and Andrew Young would like that option. General Raymond Ordiano, I suggest that you get our daily email at slate.com slash just email. Barry Manilow likes yo. He calls it Manio. We're on Facebook, but so is Christiana Amapur, Patrick Stewart, Andy Cohen, Stone Phillips, Peter Frampton, Ariana Huffington, and Alan Alda. But they are not on Facebook.com slash Slate Gist. If, unlike Senator Cory Booker, George Lucas, Alexi Lalas, John Batiste, and Henry Kissinger, you prefer emailing, try the gist at Slate.com. And so, as I once said, to Bob Costas, Pussy Riot, Vince Gilligan, J.J. Abrams, The Dragon Smog, Leslie Small, Senator Clara McCaskill, Santa Claus, and Alex Trebek, thanks for listening. Oh, and Norman Ornstein. I'm David Plotz. This week on the Slate Political Gab Fest, Christmas in Havana. Is the thaw between Cuba and the U.S. a good idea? Look for us in the Slate store on iTunes or at slate.com slash podcasts.